The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I don't know if it picked up on the mic, but my dog is barking like crazy. And you're all just going to have to accept that he, she is part of the show and an important fixture in this program. And my dog, Molly, interrupting this broadcast has a rich and storied tradition that we're all happy to have on it. And I'm happy to be chatting with all of you. Ryan Corelli here having the time of my life getting to hang out with all of you. Um, I hope you like how incredibly overdressed I am this week. The live streaming audience for the first time ever since I've ever hosted this show. I'm actually wearing lawyers clothes for the first time. Mm. I just came from a dinner, had to like race straight here and uh, so I, I look like a banker, and it's hot, and I'm sweating, and it is what it is. Let's bring in our co-host, Elisa Rockdock. How are you, Elisa? I am wearing sweatpants because the universe <laughs> craves balance. That's right. It's a just a delicious contrast that we're giving everybody today. But Elisa, as far as I'm concerned, you've earned every thread of those sweatpants because you have been putting in the time this week just drinking in just just mainlining the pop culture the last few days you've been at pax east in boston just doing all kinds of cool projects uh with, with film joy and everything else you got going on it's been amazing it's been awesome and before we have you tell us all about it because we want the deets i want to give the live streaming audience at least because this is very much a visual gag yeah. a picture of you <laughs> On the plane back from PAX East, because you're all probably wondering, like, how much work does Elisa put in when she goes to one of these cons? And so we have the proof of this because this is from Elisa's Twitter. There's <laughs> a picture of her on the plane. I I'll do my best to describe it to paint a mental picture for the radio audience. She's got her mask on on the flight. That's always good. You know, Max mask up. Uh, Fauci would be proud. And... But your entire face is covered because your eyes appeared to be covered by what I can only like say looks kind of like a, a bra like a yeah. bra for your eyes and it's, it's covered an your entire face and so like this is what you look like on the plane with other people around you just your entire face including your eyes covered in like your sensory deprivation outfit because you were just mm. done with that week absolutely um somebody commented that i looked like a hench person in a 2d side scroller arcade game that you would punch once and you would see blink out of existence um i i look like a member of the foot in one of the ninja turtles arcade games but uh oh i think we lost elisa hopefully we'll get her connection back in a second but yeah she uh, lauren you want to pop in here like walk us through like your impressions of this uh spectacular outfit she's got going on with the with the uh you know, bra over her eyes and just the face covering. It's, it's an oh, upside down bra, oh. but you've also got to comment on like the giant muzzle she's got around her neck. So like she, she's not showing really any of her. She's very incognito. Yeah. If it wasn't for the very identifiable hair, I'm just going to put yeah. that out there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I definitely look like some sort of hench person. It was a 5 a.m. flight. Oof. Mind you. So I had to be at the airport at 3.30 ish. Pre-check wasn't even open. That's how early it was. <laughs> the service that I paid money for to get in early wasn't even available. Um, Starbucks you, you, didn't even open the thing that before. you like gave up all your civil liberties for to get through <laughs> security like 15 <laughs> seconds faster and it wasn't even there for you when you needed it the most. <laughs> That's how early it was. They should not be allowed to make flights that early. So I, I, I did what any... Um, lady worth her salt would do i would just just put myself in a little sensory deprivation cubby <laughs> get the window seat and just pass out i have a great neck pillow that 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 folds 
kind of nice and, and and tucks itself in there. The mask was great because I got to stay toasty and, and keep myself safe. Um, and and the mask it looks like a bra, but that made it so that as soon as um, as soon as I took it off, my eyeliner and my eye makeup was absolutely perfect and did not get smudged uh, during that entire time. So uh, I I won. Because the brassiere effect of the eye mask, I guess, is built to, like, take kind of pressure off the eyeballs so it doesn't yes. ruin mascara and things like that. Oh, so, it's, so it's not like smushing your eyes in and, you know, gives your gives your eyes a chance to flutter when you're in a when you're in a REM like state. Um, but it's 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 great for me who likes to um, do as I say, not as I do. I like <laughs> to uh, reuse my eye makeup sometimes. And when. When you have a flight at three thirty, uh, you you don't sleep. You merely take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> so now I have to ask, what got you to this point? Walk us through Pax East. Well, what 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 a, a day week in the life is uh, in, at one of these cons where you're fully in it, where you're where you're working, where you're moving, where you're shaking. Give us the recap. Gosh, I mean, if anything, so so Pax East was actually kind of cool in the sense that. Um, it had, you know, mask and vaccine mandates, um, and it's it was the first one back in two years. Literally, PAX East 2020 was my last convention before lockdown. So coming back and having PAX East be my first con back, um, you know, one of my friends commented that there's there's always a banner at every PAX that says "Welcome Home," because PAX East is always this big sort of community for for geeks of all stripes to be able to kind of come together and but that hit super hard because we haven't been together a lot in these last few years being able to like just collectively nerd out together um so it was a really cool experience to be in the same room as a bunch of people a lot of folks that maybe I've only seen or maybe only met online in the last two years finally meeting them in person but the numbers were definitely significantly lower than any packs I've ever attended. Um, so it was actually me with my, you know, I'm kind of scared that I've forgotten how to people. <laughs> I was about to say, like, it's a whole lot of people shaking off their agoraphobia yes. all at once. <laughs> we were all really, really rusty. There's definitely a lot of the like, hey, I recognize you. And then so much. Oh, I've forgotten everything about everyone I've ever met. Please <laughs> remind me of your name. I feel like an awful human. Uh, so so a lot of kind of still figuring out how to act and how to interact with people. Um, but it was sort of great practice. It wasn't overwhelming at all and like compressed um, in terms of like major studio um buy-in it was a lot sort of less um than than kind of your average pack so it was sort of this really cool casual way of you were actually able to walk the show floor and like <laughs> you had space to move around and you could see everything and you can experience a lot more me i was tied to our booth at the bandland table selling uh merch for my youtube channel film joy um that that we're a part of but just meeting meeting people and especially with with the kind of content that we produce which is trying to have an actual positive thing to say about movies and pop culture on the internet um and finding the joy in and liking things um having people come up to us and be able to say like hey these last two years your content got us through a really hard time and and us being able to say like yeah making that got us through a really <laughs> right hard back time. at you so like being being able to 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 interface with those folks and make those connections was absolutely the most rewarding thing on the planet and I didn't realize how much I needed it and fed off of it until I finally got it back. And for you the the things that have happened for you professionally since Pax East 2020 <laughs> yeah. and today I mean, there are people probably coming up to you and approaching you on projects that didn't exist pre-pandemic. Now you're, you know, like I assume you're getting a lot of like Tyrene Calypso approachings and the Film Joy approachings. And so, I mean, what's that like where people are like recognizing you more than ever? Are they asking you to do the voices? Like, oh my god, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's really weird. I mean, at first, like I I have like the most imposter syndrome on the planet. And I still feel like, you know, I'm literally the girl that you met 
in like seventh, eighth grade. There's like I, absolute I feel dork. like the, like all of this for all of you has just got to be completely overwhelming. Where like a, it's just a bunch of people complimenting you, and you're just like, no, why? 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 No, go <laughs> go why? find someone else to love. No. What? No, like why? Why? Absolutely, why? And but like so, like it's sometimes it you know, and hey, you know, sometimes imposter syndrome you know kind of ends up like messing with you in such a way that you don't end up promoting yourself. Um, mm -hmm. It took me a minute to promote the fact that I was there with signed prints and stuff because I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm at a convention with signed. Who am I? Signed prints. <laughs> but I actually made like. Like there were people coming up to me, and going, oh my God, like, like one for me and like two for my other friends who are at home who like love you and like love the character. And I'm like, what? Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> like, oh, you know, can you record a video for my friend who isn't here? Or whatever? Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's been incredibly rewarding because like, especially as a creator, no matter what it is that you do, a lot of times you're your own worst critic and you don't think that what you do has an impact or like in my case with someone, you know, a character like Tyreen and like the way that Borderlands three went, sometimes it's hard to not internalize um, some of the negative comments that you get. And while I was playing Tyreen Calypso, it was also my literal full-time job to read the YouTube comments and the Twitch comments <laughs> about her. My oh, therapist God. is doing great. I'm sure her house is amazing because of me. <laughs> So it, it's it's difficult. So having having more of an opportunity, if you're a creator, those people are out there, even though you may not hear from them. But also, if you do have creators that you do support, please tell them <laughs> that you like their work and, and please show show that support, because honestly, that means way more than any of you will ever, ever know. So having that opportunity to to interface with people in person, that's just Ah, chef's kiss. So and good. And that and that praise and that even like a small act of an at an at a girl keep up the good work from a fan. Like those things are important because I mean I, I think you can probably attest to this. Like in the content moderation, uh, you know, social media manager game, um, uh, you need like a thousand good jobs to equal like one nasty comment, right? Yep. <laughs> like like the nasty comment like stays with you for like six months. And so you need a whole lot of praise to like regulate you. And so you want people to like, you know, if you, if you like your creators, let them know. Cause it's, it's hell out there for them. <laughs> yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of one of like the double-edged swords of like having the channel that we have on film joy is like, positivity doesn't get clicks <laughs> um in, in in either regard and and oftentimes it's it's easier and um more cathartic to to get your bad feeling out um instead of expressing your your kind of genuinely good feeling because you're like ah oh, this person probably hears it all the time or like they're not going to care about what some rando on the internet has to say you know, for good or for bad, but I'm like, no, 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 no. Like a lot of times we only get the bad stuff yeah. because people self censor in that way. And they're like, Oh, you know, they're not going to want to hear me. No, 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 no. Please, please tell us what we're <laughs> doing. Like, okay. Cause it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, and like people kind of get into show business, at least partially because of like an overwhelming need to seek the praise of others. So like naturally you're, you're, you know, Whenever you're thinking, oh, they don't want to, you know, that, that that person whose work I love, they don't need to hear my compliment. Yes, they do. <laughs> no, no, they 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 absolutely do. There's 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 a we are we we live for the applause, applause, applause. <laughs> we live for the applause, applause. So so what other cool packs, uh, revelations, announcements? Like what was the what were some of the things there where you're like, oh, that was so cool. That what a what a cool thing that I got to experience. Gosh, um, um, it was really nice um, to be on a panel. Um, just again, uh, we we debuted um, an episode um, of Movies with Mikey about Die Hard, the quintessential Christmas movie for all seasons. Um, but like, just just hearing like live laughter, period, <laughs> was was great. Um, saw a really fun Jackbox panel um, of just a bunch of folks, really cool looking folks playing Jackbox, including. Um, um, folks from Penny Arcade, but also folks like, you know, Austin Creed, like Xavier Woods from WWE, like 
like just seeing so many cool faces that you've been experiencing so much online and being able to be like, ah, you're right there. Yay. You're right there. (laughs) Um, didn't actually get a chance to like actually like roam around the show floor too much. But, um, like I saw that like tiny Tina's wonderlands was there. Um, Larian had a really cool booth for Baldur's gate that had like some really cool, like castle stuff. What was really interesting though, is just kind of taking a seat back, um, in terms of conventions and stuff like, it is interesting to to see, and it will be interesting to see what the evolution of the fan convention becomes going forward because of the lack of buy-in from like the big three, Microsoft, Sony, Xbox, et cetera. Like you would usually see them, you know, with like big competing booths with all of the games that they're releasing. But now it's more like, hey, we we can turn on OBS and play a trailer to our bajillion fans on Twitch we might not need these big expensive booths to to show off to fans anymore. So it's almost like kind of turning back around to the origins of the fan convention. And I think maybe getting back to that might kind of strip away some of the like, cause there was, there was a period of time when it was just all very pukey marketing artifice stunts at the booth, which was a moment in time but I feel like we kind of lost the plot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now I think getting back to just a more sort of like genuine celebration and maybe feeling like things are a little bit more grassroots because of maybe that lack of buy-in is interesting. Um, it felt really light in terms of attendance. And like Saturday was the only day that was sold out when this used to be a place where like you had to be like refreshing F5ing as soon as they announced the tickets were going on sale. Otherwise you were screwed now it was like you could do a sound of music twirl in the aisles and like not hit anybody not even a snorlax cosplayer so like you know things things are interesting from like an industry perspective because it was very muted but good and bad so the this new phenomenon of the big content players not having a physical presence there partially pandemic motivated but as you noted partially motivated by we have other channels to reach our fans directly we don't need to go through the cons anymore based on your sense of where things are do you think that's a permanent state of affairs like are we going to start to see these big players at the cons ever again or are we really going back to as you said the basics of these kind of conventions where it's it's smaller players uh and and kind of getting back to the roots of what how these things got started I feel like these things might end up being kind of cyclical. Um, I I have a sense that what will probably end up happening, I mean, E3 is already toast. Um, I don't imagine that E3 is going to come back in any recognizable form um, ever again. Um, if anything, it is going to be taken up by, probably absorbed by Jeff Keighley's um, Summer Games whole situation. It was be- basically like, one of the biggest kind of industry enthusiasts, you know, enthusiast press kind of made his way into basically being a kind of like, you know, if, if there was like a head of like the Academy of video games or something like, you know, it it may even be Keely at this point Um, because basically going for one person who has the production value to be able to be like, Hey, here's my trailer with a guaranteed audience paid media by whatever that is way cheaper um, than trying to source the labor for a booth, the design for a booth, the actual parts that then if there's a convention season, you have to like ship to a bunch of different places like you used to. That's not a thing anymore. So I'm thinking we're going to see a lot more cons getting to be a little bit more fan oriented, fan curated, um, which when that happens might become more of like a cyclical thing where they're like, okay, well now that the audience is back, now we'll come back. Yeah, Now, now the big players come back in. So that's entirely possible. But like, also there are folks like, um, um, like rooster teeth or like other places that like, will just be like, well, we're just going to have our own maybe little fan convention and have our own little fish in a barrel instead of having to pay all of these fees to some outside company 
we'll just have our own maybe little thing for like our own pockets of fans. I see things becoming a little bit more insular because the audiences are like now so fragmented across all sorts of different platforms. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But in the meantime, I like the state of affairs of something smaller, more muted, something that doesn't drown out the voices of smaller creators, independent creators, and gives them a, a larger forum to peddle their wares and build their audiences. That, to me, is an exciting development for however long it lasts. Speaking of developments, um, uh, sometime in between, uh, you know, you wearing brassiere over your eyes and flying uh, back to your hometown, and now uh, a couple minor pieces of news involving a kind of under-the-radar social network have, uh, have transpired. Yes, the uh, the sacrilegiously wealthy uh elon musk uh has apparently engaged in like what's legally a merger but in functionally is a hostile takeover of twitter and is taking has agreed to purchase the platform with the intention of taking it private in a 44 billion dollar deal whether it winds up going through is a is a complicated labyrinth of mna law that i don't want to bore everybody with but he did sign the papers so if, to the extent that you believe that you can possibly bind Elon Musk to a contract, he is bound to a contract. And it, to me, it's going to be interesting to like see how his philosophy of what he thinks a social network like Twitter should be meshes with what the reality is and what is best for indie creators. So I want to ask you this because you you cut your teeth in community management. You You've... You've seen the masses. You've had to manage the masses uh, in terms of helping a company with their social media presence. When Elon Musk says that we need to make Twitter true free speech, like we're not going to have restrictions on what is uttered. We're going to make this a true town square marketplace of ideas, and we're going to let the marketplace of ideas decide what's good and what's bad and what should be amplified. And we're not going to let the platform make those decisions. How realistic is that to you? Um, what I see is as realistic are people that look like me and marginalized folks, um, getting, uh, the raw end of that stick as they've been getting, even with the moderation that already exists. Um, uh, there's there's also the idea of I think um, like this this talk about like authenticating real users or whatever and and maybe forcing people uh, to use a real name situation which again harms marginalized creators who have maybe been using this outlet as a way of promoting their work in places where maybe they can't be out. Um, mm. So like you know anonymity can also help like protect the the marginalized and moderation helps protect the marginalized um because i've lived through gamergate once i'm not trying to do that again every day on this hell site that is called twitter um it's when when like <laughs> it's a sociologist right like like society gets the deviance that it deserves um mm. And when you do not moderate the the content of that platform, you're basically saying that all of this is okay. And some things are not okay. The implication that I am not a people because I am a certain shade or darker is not okay. <laughs> yeah. um, and and that, that stuff should not exist and should not even be entertained as a, well, let's hear them out. Yeah. And there are certain things that do not deserve a, well, let's hear them out. And um, and to me, even just from a, from a practicality standpoint, I mean, like, you know, even, even if we like put a pin in the idea of like, what impact does this have on marginalized groups, which, you know, I don't mean to in any way diminish, but just let's say, if our goal is to have a platform that doesn't just completely burst into flames, have we not seen multiple examples of social networks removing the guardrails in this same fashion and bursting into flames like Fark and 8chan? Like we've tried this. We've seen this movie before. We know how it ends. I don't think he 
cares or knows there is there is a certain amount of money after which you are just not a regular human nor think about regular people <laughs> um i there it's it's difficult because there are right on the one hand it could be just like twitter is just a football that is being thrown around by people that have way too much damn money and therefore while they play with that little toy and their little stock prices and stuff we're just gonna be here chilling and maybe we don't see any actual significant change um in either direction um but there's also the the opportunity for him to be so excruciatingly bad at this (laughs) (laughs) that maybe twitter you know falling into disrepair can can maybe lead to something better being burnt from the ashes i hear that like tumblr absolutely tanked but like now that maybe folks haven't like maybe paid as much attention to it because it tanked so hard now if you actually go on tumblr it might actually be like not everything it used to be in in its sort of golden days but like folks are being like well i'm on tumblr now and like tumblr is actually a better thing and seeing folks post about like alternate methods right there's no ethical consumption under capitalism however (laughs) um it's it is unfortunate that that folks it it kind of what it does is it brings into sharp relief how much a space like twitter um, can mean for for folks in terms of community organizing, um, like political organizing, but also just in terms of like what the show's about, indie creators just being able to promote their stuff, especially writers. People are like, I'm a writer. I traffic in words. I use this because I don't have to show my face or do a TikTok dance or stream or, you know, do all of this stuff. So there are folks that feel really stuck because... Now the economy is, the creator economy, is such that you have to create and be a part of these platforms. And if you're not, you're toast. You can't have a career. Um, so these, these kinds of decisions where like handing it off from, you know, one person with way too much money to another can cause this kind of like significant distress within an entire populace of users like that should give people pause. Do you think and how viable do you think it is for indie creators to take a look at what's going on and maybe see this as an opportunity to look at other social media platforms, perhaps some emerging ones, not just because, oh, Elon's buying it, I'm going to leave, which I think is sort of like the equivalent of I'm moving to Canada because yeah, somebody I got mm-hmm. elected doesn't like. I, you know, somebody I got elected and I don't like them. But yeah. um, just because, because like, I mean, even putting aside like what's going on like right at this second with Twitter, as somebody like, I think you can like say with some uh, conviction here, like you've been on Twitter for a long time. Yes. Was it not a more fun platform five years ago, <laughs> ten years ago, when it was smaller, when you had a when you had a more focused community, when uh, you weren't just kind of shouting your tweet out into the void and getting very little engagement on it because you know you were one of a just infinite chorus of voices. So maybe what creators might need is a community that's smaller, but at least it's more focused, and you know maybe isn't. Uh, just you know heavily toxic yet and this might be the time to find some of those platforms yeah i mean if if you know one one exists (laughs) (laughs) that can be everything to everyone which 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 isn't a thing it's it's wild because yeah it's an opportunity It, it sucks that after a certain point um there is a um, there is an amount of following that you get after which the website becomes unusable. You cannot express an opinion about something, <laughs> however benign, without somebody using it as an opportunity to make themselves the main character. And like, well, well, this is why you're wrong about your own personal lived experience based on my thing where I'm situated here today because I have an opinion and now I need to make it your problem because you said you happen to like pineapple on pizza. You monster. No. <laughs> I can't, I can't. Like, uh. it's, it's, 
like the the fact that after a certain point the website becomes unusable if you have a certain amount of following but at the same time if you don't engage enough and you don't network across or up enough through using this website like who knows what kind of opportunities you might lose by doing that not everybody has enough of a following or enough of the wherewithal or the spoons to maintain a discord channel the audiences that people have aren't necessarily like hip to discord or hip to tiktok um facebook <laughs> next right so like <laughs> the the like you might as well like you know pick up this you know, I don't know, scrape the burnt off this piece of toast instead of eating the moldy bread that's over there because it's the best you got. Like, it's 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 very difficult. While this could be an opportunity for folks to pivot, you know, and, and see, like, honestly, it's exhausting. Um, it's It's exhausting to have to do this kind of dance every single time and not have the kind of stability that you know maybe like a, a traditional media landscape might have provided once upon a time we live in a different time um so it's it's not only a matter of having the options and having them be good options for the people that are on there but also like ways in which creators can can make a living and maybe sustain some of the blows of a lack of a moderation or something if there is like something good in return um like stop messing with my chronological timeline nobody <laughs> wants to see like the spiciest tweets i want to see things in order like stop if messing i see with the, the phrase actual... based on your likes one more time or because <laughs> you liked one you know more what I time mean? it's like yeah it's like don't it's like don't make it nigh unusable. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 hard. It's an opportunity for people to pivot, but like it would be great if we had other kind of systems in place so that people could feel like they could have some sense of security with which they could just create and be artists. Yeah. Uh but we ain't there yet, kids. So in the meantime, you know, brush up on your transitions, I guess. <laughs> when I think of the lack of moderation component of all of this. I can't help but sort of, you know, keep my lawyer hat on it. And it makes me think a lot about uh, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which, like, two years ago, like, maybe only a few lawyers knew about this. But uh, in the last couple of years, like, because it's sort of been turned into a political football, suddenly everybody's a Section 230 expert. And I don't purport to be a Section 230 expert either, but with what Elon is doing when he says... I'm going to take the guardrails off. We're turning this into the freewheeling public square, no holds barred, anything goes, catches, catch can. I immediately come back to Section 230. So for, for those of you who are, you know, don't know, Section 230 is a rather sweeping federal law that says that uh, websites, web platforms like social media companies or like YouTube that host third-party content that they don't have any control over so like third parties are posting content. This law says that those providers of those platforms are immune from all the lawsuits that come. So if somebody posts something that is defamatory or libelous or, uh, you know, violates like all kinds of like crappy laws or all this stuff, um, you know, you can sue the person who posted it. You can't sue Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You can't hold them secondary li secondarily liable. And the law is so sweeping, it applies to both federal and state causes of action. And, you know, the reason why we have this law, the, the deal that was sort of struck between the big tech companies and the government was, look, here's the deal, big tech companies. We're going to give you this uh, massive, incredibly broad shield of liability. In exchange, it is our expectation that you are going to regulate your platforms and not make them toxic so that we don't have to. Because the big tech companies were saying, look, we are afraid of regulating our, our platforms because you can, you know, if we start messing with stuff, we're afraid that people can hold us secondarily liable for our editorial decisions that we make. And so then the government said, fine, we'll make you immune. So now you can regulate what you want to to not let your platforms become terrible cesspools. And that's the deal. So... When 
new people come in to say Twitter and say, we're going to remove the guardrails. That makes the government go, wait a minute. You're this. We had a deal, man. Like, like, you know, and so that's the kind of thing where like, if, if I'm a government, I'm going to say, well, if you're not going to regulate your platform, then maybe we're going to do it for you. And we're going to take away your section 230 shield. And Right now, Section 230 isn't particularly popular with either political party, right? Like the the folks on the left are concerned about the rising influence on the big of big tech, and the folks on the right are concerned about like you know people with really horrifying views getting banned. <laughs> um, basically, they're afraid of the law working the way it's supposed to. <laughs> but the point is, is that everybody is you know like folks on both sides of the aisle have some issues with Section 230, and something like this where. You know, this really, you know, like like third largest social media platform, if it becomes a dumpster fire, that's the that's just the kind of thing that triggers regulation and makes both sides of the aisle want to put Section 230 under the hood, which no big tech company wants because it would end the Internet as we know it. If we start holding all of these platforms liable for every filthy, terrible, disgusting, defamatory thing that all of their users are posting or, you know, making into videos or pictures or whatever. I mean, and so like government just said, don't make me turn this car around. That is exactly where this is, is heading. But again, if you have $44 billion to spend on Twitter, under your couch, like, like maybe you, you, yeah, under your couch, like you just don't even like care. And that that's, that's frustrating. Um, well, let's let's turn to more happier times. I was going to take this to commercial break, but I don't even want to waste like the two and a half no. minutes. I got you here. Let's just roll. Um, I want to talk a couple pretty interesting music stories came in. I was actually going to talk about this story last week, Elisa, but we ran out of time. And to me, that's fortuitous because this story needs you. Uh-oh. Uh, recently, Billboard just released its t- its list of the top 100 songs from 2002. And when I think of a year that you could just sink your teeth into and have things to say, 2002, right in the Rock Docs wheelhouse. Uh, I mean, that, that, like that, you, you can almost like bring yourself back to that time, mm, right? Uh, moment you know, in time. Just, you know, finishing up high school learning about yourself and what is playing on the radio. The number one song of 2002, according to Billboard, uh, Missy Elliott's uh, Work It. Oh. Uh, which, uh, I mean, I would say I have a lot of issues with this list, and I, I will I will rant, so help what, me. But number one, Missy Elliott, Work It. You know, what is the what is the criteria of any of these lists? What can we do to make our readers pissed and get them yelling things on social media that uh, will be toxic and disgusting and will be no way regulated on Elon Musk's Twitter? Um, That's they always make these lists these way. They always put a few things that are either ridiculously high or ridiculously low so that we get mad. But I can't be mad at number one. I think uh, work it like most of Missy Elliott's songs is a great song and the production in it is like it's so sneaky good like because like you'll hear it like when especially when you're you know you're our age when you're a teenager you're just like oh this is a cool rap song and then you go actually under the hood and really like see all the production behind it and the rhymes just fabulous i'm i'm very excited about this kind of turn we're having in terms of re-celebrating the 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 early aughts um one i feel incredibly pandered to and i'm going shopping for outfits now because i recognize <laughs> all the clothes from <laughs> 20 years ago mind you 20 years ago don't want to think about that math too hard but like i'm i'm excited about some of these things kind of getting um Maybe they're due finally. Um, like I don't think Missy Elliott has gotten her due enough. And so like I'm 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 excited from from this standpoint. However <laughs> also I did not know that the featured artist on Paul Oakenfold's Starry-Eyed Surprise, um, coming in at number hundred was the Shifty Shellshock from The Crazy Town. Is that Oh, I I did not know. I didn't put that together. Wow. Which, you know what? Good for him. For having, <laughs> <laughs> for having maybe like one and a half hits. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Can't call him a one hit wonder. 
Nope. Um, I, I have to say, and like, you know, the, I think the one on this list that made me the most upset, and it's not that I don't like this song, and it's not that I don't like the artist, because like 17-year-old Ryan had a massive crush on one Avril Lavigne. And the number three song of all the songs that came before us in 2002 was Skater Boy. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm just, I'm just, just sounding it out, okay? Um, Skater Boy by Avril Lavigne, and I would submit to you, like, first of all, like, I mean, the song is, it, it's, it's fine, it's cute, um, <laughs> but she rhymes TV with MTV. I was about to call that's, that out. That's not in dispute. And I would submit to you that I don't even think it's the best Avril Lavigne song of 2002. Like, I liked Complicated more than Skater Boy. Like, this seems like, I mean, number three seems like it's one of the, like, they, they have it above Don't Know Why by Nora Jones, which mm -hmm. won, you know, all the Grammys in 2002. They have it above Lose Yourself by Eminem, the first rap song uh, to win uh, an Academy Award for Best Original Song. Like, that's, like, that's just there to make Ryan mad. Hmm. I mean, on the one hand, you know, when you think about like, I mean, which which was the first single? Was it Skater Boy or was it Complicated? I think it was Complicated. Okay. So interesting that the ballad was the first one <laughs> instead of the other way around. Yeah, they usually, usually don't. Yeah, it's 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 the pop turn. Then you get you know, then you hit them with the power ballad. But I I feel like just in terms of a moment in time. <laughs> the the idea of what skater boy represents from like a zeitgeist perspective why i gotta go and make things so complicated whatever and like <laughs> you're you're pretending to be a prep when you're actually like a punk like me or something and it's fine the the idea of like the and and especially this is sort of like like kind of like also like happening in like geek spaces this idea of like the manic pixie dream girl, your Zoe Deschanel's, your cool girls, your cool gamer geek girls. Like, oh my God, she's a girl who plays video games. And this idea of like, I'm super punk rock. And she's so perfect. <laughs> like, you know, very like, I wear, I'm in the bleachers and she wears short skirts. Like this, 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 this internalized misogyny was a moment in time in 2002. <laughs> I, in terms of just like highly representative of like you know internalized misogyny hot topic culture i, I can't imagine anything other than skater boy being up there have you ever seen the tiktok video of the of basically like there's the person in the video is playing the character of the girl that avril lavigne is singing to in skater boy but like you know today so like 15 years later and basically, like, she's listening to, like, Avril Lavigne sing the song where, like, you know, Avril Lavigne is, like, you know, mocking this girl, like, you could have had this guy, and now he's with me. And and you just see, like, the popular girl being like, well, like, yeah, I mean, he was kind of cute, but, like, he wasn't really my type, and, like, that's okay. And, look, I'm really happy for him and for you that you're both famous. Like, I'd love to come see your show. And it's just like... <laughs> and so, like, it just creates, like, this, like, this this new narrative where just... Avril Lavigne is being super obnoxious like he's mine and not yours and like the other girl's like that's fine like, like I'm happy for that's you actually fine like <laughs> I mean one of one of the things that I am happy though is like just scrolling through this list and just sort of being like wait is this song on there okay cool all right all right we're good like I don't even care what number it falls on if you do not have 311's amber on there we're going to have a problem <laughs> because that's the color of your energy. And it, it, it needs, it needs to be on there. Like, like when you talk about a moment in time, good heavens, gosh. And just, uh, I'm like scrolling through and like, God, Cheryl Crow soak up the sun. Like, could we just come on? I mean, speaking of a, a moment in time with that song, like, I, I just love everything about, like, what that song, like, did to the world and just how, how did this, like, fervently anti-capitalist song, like, super iconoclastic, <sighs> become 
the bubbly song of the summer because it had like a fun like beach rock beat behind it. It just, you know, will never stop, uh, you know, just being blown away by that. Uh, it's 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 so good. It's just like 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 tweets. Oops. Oh, my is on this list in the top 20 and I'm happy it is in the top 20 because that song does not nearly get the play that it deserves, which of course featuring Missy Elliott, you know, kind of on the track. <laughs> like, honestly, I, I I'm hoping that that this decade is, is the decade that we finally like realize, Oh my gosh, Missy Elliott was literally carrying <laughs> this decade. <laughs> on her back yes indeed <laughs> heavens but I'm, I'm i'm just happy it's here but also realizing that all of these songs like jimmy eat whirls the middle and nora jones don't know why and amber and sean paul's give me the light when you talk about <laughs> like a moment in time at miami Dade county public schools mm -hmm. sean paul art had the grip <laughs> on all of us at oh homecoming my God. There, there was a time <laughs> Where he just was the music industry. Like you could not, you couldn't get through five songs on the top 40 station without two of them being either a song that he was leading, like Gimme the Light, or he's like showing up on a Beyonce track or something like that. Like he had his, he had his run, a spectacular run. And like Shaggy was another one where you could not oh, escape yeah. him for a moment in time. Oh my gosh. And like, and like you want to talk about like the, the sort of like big kind of genre shifts like woman with guitar and or piano, Michelle Branch, Vanessa Carlton, both <laughs> represented on this list. Like there were so many like pink doing her like I'm I'm officially no longer R&B and I'm just going to do my, like my pop rock thing. And Christina Aguilera doing that her her whole dirty flip like so many things happened that year that represented so many significant turning points for so many artists um especially considering like 2002 you know we're we're in a very different america than we were you know before before that millennium hit like that's just wild and this is 20 years ago um and I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm happy. Like the, the organization of the songs will obviously be the reason that we're talking about it and fighting over it, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just happy to see tweet. I'm just happy. She to see rhymes TV with MTV. She's on a car. And it's number three. <laughs> she's, she's on a car and she's so punk rock. Cause she's on a car ryan you don't understand she's so punk rock. <laughs> but you know what shouts to avril when it comes to brand consistency and oh, like yeah. artist consistency throughout the years she's got it she is doing yeah. the exact same stuff and good for her like i'm really excited about like oh my god like coachella billy eilish Haley Williams singing misery business together. Are you kidding me? My heart. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I am so happy that this is now, I feel like more than ever in terms of this, like because of the internet, just like recycling of culture, basically post seventies culture um, that we just sort of keep recycling and putting into a wood chipper and feeding back to ourselves every like 15 <laughs> to 20 years. I'm actually happy because I feel like we get a chance to kind of um, rediscover and, and see things with new eyes and give things maybe the, the appreciation that they once deserved. But now we have a, a set of mediums to kind of bring, you know, kind of turn it around and maybe give social media a positive nod because of the democratization of social media um, and the ability of artists to be more transparent folks that were this big 20 years ago, I feel can now enjoy this newfound success and people rediscovering their music in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been able to in previous decades. I still can't get over the fact that, you know, my hair is now gray enough that <laughs> in that transaction that you were talking about, Haley Williams is like the elder stateswoman yep. that you like, we, we talked about I'm this a few weeks ago older than Haley. Yeah. No, this is going to make you mad, all right? I, I, I had a, 
I, I, when JC was co-hosting, I, I told him this. The the distance of time between Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo and Misery Business by Paramore is the same distance of time as Misery Business by Paramore and Rump Shaker by Rex in Effect. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. like, And you picked the song that was going to hit both of us, too. Yeah, no, I, I, I really... <sighs> I needed that to be maximum devastating. And I feel like Rex in effect uh, makes that happen for you. I no longer have the energy to zoom, 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 or a boom, boom. Thank you. <laughs> hey, when, when, when did we get old? I don't like it. Um, so one more music story, one more little pop culture thing to close us out this week. The, a, uh, an interesting article in the Atlantic of all places, because that's where I go for my cutting edge music news. Um, you know, just trying to keep up with the times. So, you know, we're, what all the young people are into. So I go to the Atlantic, but a couple <laughs> listeners sent me this story and like, you got to talk about this. So, uh, it's a story called a Stanford psychologist says he has cracked the code of one hit wonders. Oh. Now I know you are something of a, of a one hit wonder aficionado, a scholar <laughs> and admirer. So I think, <laughs> I think you might be interested in these insights. So Derek okay. Thompson, uh, summarizing his book Hitmakers, uh, in, in his in this uh, article, he talks about the work of Stanford psychologist Justin Berg, and Berg's analysis of what makes a song likely to become a one-hit wonder. And I want to hear what you think of this approach. So, what uh, Berg says is that the strongest predictor of a one-hit wonder is basically if your first hit sounds like everything else around you you're likely not going to be able to penetrate the consciousness. The artists that get multiple hits are the ones that create something distinctive in time, like when Shania Twain is doing pop country, when no mm -hmm. one else is doing pop country. Mm -hmm. And then once you hit that distinct moment, you then mine that deeply. You do that pop country for years, and then people know you for that. So you have to be distinct at the beginning and then give people familiar familiarity once they once you get in there. And he mm. contrasts that with one hit wonders, and he uses the song uh, "No Rain" by Blind Melon. Mm. He said, "No Rain" came out, and it's basically like you know all all the other music of the time, and it stood out a little bit because you had the Bumblebee music video. But for the most part, it was it sounded like everything else, and so it didn't really get a chance to allow Blind Melon to stand out in the consciousness and uh, have more hits after that first hit. I can tell you, I don't, you know, I, I think it sounds, uh, you know, insightful. And I think his anecdotal evidence of the blind melon examples, I guess, supports his theory. But I don't think I love the argument, but I want to hear what you think first. Not that I want to poison the jury or anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting. I'm thinking about, like, um, I think it's also difficult to compare songs depending um like absent of the context of the time in which they were released and the relationship between either a labels um and sort of like like traditional rollouts of music at the time but also like the impact that mtv had um you know depending on like the songs that that you're pulling from and like the eras you're pulling from i feel like maybe comparing like a blind melon to like a sigh might be a a little like apples and oranges e in a yeah. sense um like i'm trying to think of like all of like your 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 i mean i i refuse to say that aqua was a one hit wonder because dr jones was great and cartoon heroes was great i know we're just going <laughs> we're just going to leave cartoon melon. heroes out like that wasn't you know just capturing lightning in a bottle like this is what i'm saying like 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 they like aqua not a one hit wonder because these other amazing tunes exist but like but like your eiffel 65s right like your blues and um like all of these other moments in time yeah it's Oh, it's it's difficult. I feel like there's there's that in terms of being a one hit wonder, you have to be like out of left field enough to capture the attention. And then I think you become a one hit wonder when you either can't repeat that or it is so novel that it is very difficult to keep that up without it feeling like artifice. Yeah. Um. And I think I think there is something 
I think there's something about that kind of like authenticity. Like, like I know that Evan has, has expressed issues where like, I'll fall in love with this person based on the single and then realize that like nothing else nothing on the album else is, is like, like that. And that super sucks. Um, it's, it's a really weird tightrope to walk because on the one hand, if you're being consistent, cool. On the other hand, I think people a have a really short attention span and B can kind of sniff whether this is like i did this thing earnestly and oh my god it was a hit or this thing was so bad that it got notoriety but then once you kind of lose whatever hook that was that like little viral hook whether that's the music video like you can't rest on the laurels of the marketing or the presentation or the novelty anymore i feel like at some point you have to show people who you are and like what you can do and i don't know it's hmm <laughs> well so so many of the one hit wonders that i think of are not songs that sounded like everything else they were completely wacky things that were out of left field i think of like like nothing was like mambo number no. five by lou bega when mambo number no. five came out absolutely um nothing was like i'm too sexy by right said fred mm. or any of those things so i think a lot of one hit wonders are as you mentioned they are these you know songs that nobody expected to be a hit. Oftentimes, it's like some artist who's like, "I only put this song in here because the label said I had to, and I hate it. It's my least favorite song," <laughs> and then it becomes a hit. And so the reason that they don't become a two-hit wonder is because, as you noted, they don't have anything else like that song that people love. And to me, the artists that can go from being one-hit wonders to like long-standing careers are the ones that realize what they have in that moment and then make the pivot. I think of a band like Smash Mouth. I think of a band like Goo Goo Dolls, like mm. Goo Goo Dolls' music before name became an unexpected hit and everything post name, very different songs because they realized, oh my God, people like this like fluffy, soft crap. We're not doing the uh, metal stuff anymore. Uh, you know, it's going to be nothing but dizzy up the girl for the next 20 years because we got mortgage payments. And the ones who can do that have great careers, because as this article notes, if you can like mine that vein of like the stuff people love, you can have a great career. But if you're just sort of that flash across the sky because you have this one song and you can't replicate it like a, a, a Smash Mouth or a Goo Goo Dolls did, yeah, that's how you find your way into obscurity. Uh, because like, you know, Mambo number five and <laughs> yeah, but also like uh, trying to replicate something one to one doesn't always work. Like, like size gentlemen didn't necessarily hit yeah. as hard as Gangnam style did, even though like I would, I would, I could like just called shot, not even looking at it. I bet you like the format is the same in terms of like lyrically, like verse, verse, chorus, you know, stop say the thing yeah. you know like like all of that probably follows the exact same formula but because it's not new and it's not coming out of left field then it's like you have to either add something else to it to kind of achieve it or like it's it's hard it's like you you can't do an exact one-to-one -one thing without tripping over yourself somehow um, well I, I think that's the other part of it right is you have to be Similar enough to the stuff that came before you, but if people feel like you were just hitting the exact same note or you're just trying to kind of, you know, do that thing you do in Spanish, to, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> that's a, that is a, that is a deep cut from oh, a really man. old movie. But, you know, if people feel like you're just trying to just do a cash grab off of the thing that came before it, um, you know, that can turn the audience off. But you know, but yeah, but like most of the the one hit wonders, at least the ones that stand out in our mind that we still think of today as the one hit wonders, they're really different than the other stuff that was out there before. So I don't think their crime and the reason why they stayed one hit wonders, according as this article notes, I don't think it's because they sounded like everything else. Mm. I think it's that they were different, but they couldn't stay different because that music just wasn't like everything else they had. Yep. Yeah. And then once it once it sort of becomes a thing, then you have to rise above like just being a part of the zeitgeist and you actually yeah. have to like have something to say as an artist or something. But like I think I don't know. It's it's hard. There there was also like 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 the chat about like, you know, some of the most successful ones are like the folks that like 
engage in some sort of experimentation beforehand and then they kind of like find this one little thing and then kind of um jump into that i think there is something to be said about allowing yourself to to take those swings and see where they lead you but i feel like when it when it doesn't when it comes from a place of like let me be this flash in a pan and get my money or whatever or like some sort of dumb luck or something you have to you have to deal with that as an artist and figure out what you are going to do for your own artistic expression after that and like the degree to which you embrace that and like laugh at yourself and like maybe have a resurgence like eve six guy max collins he's having a moment right now right so like i think it's i think it's just all in like how you take advantage of those opportunities once they come right on uh, my thanks to producer Lauren, who is reminding us that we have to stay on time because of radio. And uh, my thanks to you, Elisa. This has been an absolute treat. Always a pleasure hanging out. Uh, and thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We're going to see you next week.